Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. Good evening, everybody. 2013 is the time on Tuesday, the 21st of November 2023. Now, it's a great day in my household, well, not my household, in my mother's household. I beg your pardon for that. For my brother who turns 44 today has just confirmed the wonderful news of a baby boy that he and his wife, Umansundu, have welcomed into this world. So, Tuesday, 21 November 2023, in the Mabek and Bulawa households, will forever go down as the day of days. So if they are listening, and I don't anticipate that they would be given the fact that they are attending to the welcoming, this precious newborn life, that's a sprightly three and a half kgs at birth, we certainly do wish them nonetheless very well. For those of you at home, wherever you are joining us in from, of course, we do appreciate your patronage, especially on a Tuesday for what is now an institution on the show, the SAFM Viewpoint with me, Songez Omabeta. It's the hashtag Tuesday Takeover, and boy, oh boy, do we have a guest with some serious clout, dignity, and repute, not just local. I'm talking about as global as global gets. I am talking about none other than Mama Gloria Serobe. Mama Serobe, good evening. Thank you so much for honoring this platform. It's taken us a while to get you, but man, it's worth the wait. Good things indeed come to those who wait. Welcome to SAFM. Welcome to the SAFM Viewpoint Hashtag Tuesday Takeover. And I look forward to engaging you very briefly, but more than that, I look forward to listening to you engage the country on some important issues. How are you? Um, song is so you. I'm actually sitting on your chair right now. Don't get used to it. Uh, there's a big coup happening here. I don't know if you have a job tomorrow, but uh, I'm absolutely fine. I'm only so happy to be here uh, at SAFM. Thank you. Tell us what you've been up to. I mean, I mean, everybody knows the Whiphold story, and perhaps you might want to reflect on it as well as the founding member and CEO, and it's a leading. And you've been a leading activist for community development, upliftment, particularly the empowerment of women and sustainable transformation in the economy especially. And Whiphold has been at the very center of that for the longest time. It's the one institution in the democ democratic project, certainly, that has weathered the storms that many of its organizations that come on the back of having defeated apartheid, either if they are still around, they are very much on tenterhooks. Talk to us particularly about your life's dedication to all good things about social and community development. Um, so as most of us come from uh, these um, historical discords. Um, and so for somebody my age, I've lived both lives uh, uh, before 1990 and after 1990. So doesn't matter what I do, you always look back and translate whatever it is that you've learned to undo those uh, uh, terrible knots uh, that the apartheid system put in place. And it's, it's always not comfortable now to talk about apartheid, but the point here is that we need to remind each other quite comfortably that we are undoing havoc that was done over many years. And to do that, a lot of attention to detail uh, we have to give because it was well monitored and well uh, executed at uh, that system, Absolutely. the system of ex exclusion. 
So when you look at a withhold, we are deliberate about the exclusion of women from the mainstream economy. And for us to do that, we had to be just as uh, attend to the detail of how it was done so that we can be able to be detailed about how to undo it. Maybe that is why we pulled is still here because mm. that attention to detail we gave everything to it, including infrastructure, uh, to make sure that it never is there ever again. And and this is most of these uh, uh, pre-1990 uh, issues that where you are casual about it, it just comes back again. And I think on the side of Wipold, we were very careful that the focus must be on it must never be possible again to exclude women from the mainstream of the economy. It doesn't matter whether we're here or we're not here. And so 30 years later, we can claim that we are here and we are much stronger and tough and we're comfortable in our skin because we have studied just about everything that was done to exclude women from the mainstream economy. And we've used the 30 years to do everything to undo that. It's a big program. Let, let me probe that. Sorry to interrupt you, Mark. Can, can you share with us? I mean, I think many people miss the detail that apartheid system was, the detail even before that, that the colonial project was. Hence, even today, its vestiges, respectively, apartheid and colonialism before that, remain entrenched without the end in sight. Could you share, and might be a shock to the system for some, the level of detail that was put down and executed and seen to full fruition about exactly the concept of disenfranchisement. I'm asking this question because we're talking about now and for the next 16 days, 16 days of activism against the abuse of women and children starting on the 25th. So it becomes very topical and important to have this conversation. It's not just a relevant conversation for August for Women's Month, but system of abuse, system of disenfranchisement, displacement, and all of these things that were the apartheid project. You obviously had to study it to undo it, and you can't undo something you don't understand. What is it that is about this detail that was as specific and deep and thought through as you have had to engage in the formation of Woodhold? Um, there's some simple things when we share with the young woman of today, they are just shocked actually to hear. So a simple thing like if you wanted to go to a university which is not a black university, I'm talking Vets, Cape Town or something, uh, to do accounting honors or engineering, you had to get the permission of the Minister of Interior Affairs uh, to consent to that. They think it's the most ridiculous thing possible, but it's real. And so you'll find that song as, for example, today when we are struggling and wanting to make sure that we build as many of the women accounting professionals as possible is because they could not even do those honors. And those who managed to slip through uh, to do the honors because they got the permission from the Minister of Interior Affairs, they could not sit for the board exams because they needed uh, to be enlisted with accounting firms for audit, for articles. And it's very clear that the accounting firms were under that regime they were not going to take them in. And because it was a precondition uh, to sit for the accounting board exams, you couldn't do it. So you'll find a lot of very bright people today in my generation who have accounting honors. Their dream was to be 
a chartered accountant. They couldn't get there because they could not fulfill that condition of being uh, uh, enlisted uh, in their articles. That's just one ridiculous example. There are much there more. There would be many. There would be many. I'm sorry examples. to interrupt you yes, on that. Yeah, many, many examples like that. I've only got literally two minutes left with you. And I'm going to ask a provocative question, but I think it is important. And perhaps the narrative might be, it may, it may not be, but I think it might be something like this. Africans cannot lead. Africans cannot run something successfully. Not only is that theory or assumption or stereotype, call it what you will, blown out of the water by many other institutions, not least among them, whiphold. But the question that I do want to probe against the confirmation that it's not a color thing to be able to administratively be sound in running of an institution. Why do we not seem to attract those people in the public sector? I'm saying this because if the returns are what they are in the public sector, over a period of time continually decreasing, increased corruption, and the challenges about even accessing basic services, in particular the municipalities. Why are we not able to create whipholds in the many spaces of government, be it at national, provincial, or even municipal, or especially in entities, PFMA entities or MFMA entities, the so-called state-owned or municipal-owned entities? Why does the whiphold model not translate into the public sector in a nutshell? Or why has it not? It's very hard, uh, so, so it does need a lot, lots of support. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is that uh, to be in public sector, you are confronted with a lot more of these difficult issues we're talking about. And um, if, if, but at the same time, having said that, I'm the one person who's encouraging just about every young professional to please join the public sector entities, most of them, besides being supportive to government, most of them is the only place where you can learn and be an authority on aviation, on defense, on rail, on ports, pipelines. It's all in the public sector entities. We do want authors on this matter. And one is really wanting to encourage the young professionals to please look at this again uh, with all our irritations because people have got good reasons for running away. But at the same time, I'm saying we can't. We have to look at the public sector entities and do the right thing. Most of the evil things that were done to actually punish uh, us were done in these state-owned entities. I was in Transnet uh, in 1996. I am very much aware of what had been done there to exclude blacks. And if we do not go there, we perpetuate something that by default then we are doing and we shouldn't. And for me, where I'm sitting uh, is that if there's only one thing I want to achieve in this space of yours is to say, for the young professionals, but just tell us how you want us to protect you once you are in that space, because a lot of them have been destroyed. But the point of the matter is that we cannot leave the space unmanned because we actually need the CAs, we need the lawyers, we need the engineers, we need bright people, but we also need 
honest people who just want to do right by South Africa. And uh, it doesn't help to run away from these boards or even these management uh, spaces. But the truth is that we need to deal uh, with our leaders on the public sector, whether it's the ministers or it's the DGs, to say, once you've taken them on, can you just leave them alone to do what they know best? Uh, let them run the accounting department. Let them do the engineering things. Let them do the legal things. Don't fiddle. Don't interfere. Uh, and just leave them alone uh, to do the right things. But on the one hand, we have to encourage them to come on board. Sure. Mama, I don't want to have this conversation, but I want to have this conversation. But I have to end this conversation because you're sitting on a very comfortable seat there. And the way you're talking, sounding like you're a seasoned journalist or broadcaster of 10 plus years standing. Let me yield the platform, albeit temporarily, until the top of the hour. Mama Gloria Dumadosarov is a founding member and CEO of Whiphold. and is leading activist for community upliftment, the empowerment of women, and sustainable transformation of the South African economic landscape. She has been recognized widely for her leadership in business and community activism with numerous awards and a number of honorary degrees. Among many things she has done, she has also authored a book, An Ode to My Mother-in-Law, Winnie Saroga. That is her first book. All of this and more in the takeover that follows next with Mama Magwenjo. Mama Sarobe, thank you so much for this introductory segment after the break. It is indeed your platform, your show. Hashtag Tuesday Takeover. SAFM, leading the conversation. Tuesday Takeover, on The Viewpoint. on SAFM. Good evening. Uh, my name is uh, Gloria Tomato Sirobe. I am your hashtag Tuesday Takeover guest there this evening. Uh, I'm made to understand, I think Songezo did say it on air, that he might be busy writing a poem for his new nephew. Uh, but don't worry, I'll be here with you until 9 p.m. Let's have the conversation. Call in on 086-000-2032. Send your voice notes to 0614-104-107. And please keep those voice notes under one minute so that we can be uh, able to answer. My guest today is my most gorgeous friend, Nomfanelo uh, Magwenju. She's done it all. Uh, being a senior partner at McKinsey, she also, by the way, uh, if you remember the World Cup, she was the chief operating officer for the World Cup. What it means is that everything that went right in that World Cup, it was her. But I am talking to her today as a, as a leader in business. I'm also talking to her as a, somebody who's straddling the urban life and the rural life. Because in the process, we're going to talk about the rural economy as well. But Nampanelo, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening to the listeners and thank you for having me. Uh, today I'm Songe, so uh, <laughs> just Nomfanelo. Um, first question I wanted to ask you is that we are all struggling with this uh, economic issue in South Africa, uh, but we can't quite describe it exactly. 
What is our challenge? Uh, mm-hmm. Where are we stuck? Mm-hmm. Uh, being in McKinsey, you've done all manner of uh, research studies mm-hmm. on this matter. And you can also come to how can we just start to unlock uh, the backlog mm-hmm. if there is. Yeah, so it's a great, it's a very important topic. I think women empowerment is close to my heart as a mother of, of two girls and a sister to many, many girls. So it's very important, especially coming from the rural areas. Um, we came to Johannesburg to find opportunities, and we've been empowered in the areas that we are to and to contribute and benefit in the economy. <clears throat> so I looked back, and I and I wanted to just quote uh, from a 2019 McKinsey Global Institute uh, report that South Africa had the highest global parity score of 0.76 in Africa. So highest global score in Africa compared to the best, which would be one highest score globally. So uh, South Africa has not done badly. We've done well in equity, uh, empowering women to access the um, uh, economy with equity involvement, like what you've explained right now with WIPHOLD. We've also do, have done well in corporates in terms of boards. Um, we're doing better than most of the African countries. And I, in fact, we're doing better than with the global landscape in terms of having women on boards of directors. However, the challenge has been, in my view, that we've sort of kind of relaxed as corporates right now, even on the equity, in equity space, which we've seen the Weepholds, the Nozalas, but we don't see new ones coming true as much as, as we saw in the past, post-1994. So we need to really, as corporate South Africa, really look into this and understand where women are in terms of empowerment. In the corporate sector, if I take the corporate lens, again, we have done very well in, 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 in not very well, I mean, we've done well in getting women into boards, in the board leadership. But in terms of the executive and, and women leadership in the middle management to the, to the top leadership, we are not doing very well. We don't have the pipeline. And also we've poached these young CAs that you're talking about to be in boards. And now when we look for CFOs, when corporates look for CFOs, they struggle to find them because they've been snatched by boards. We're doing well at the top, but at the bottom, in the middle and upwards, we've not done very well. Mm. So we need to redial back and and make sure that uh, as corporate South Africa, we groom and have the pipeline of the next board leaders and next ex-co members. So we've seen in some corporates that it takes long to fill the CEO roles. And we've been celebrating Mary's uh, appointment recently. Why are we, how Mm. we, how how come we are celebrating so much one individual when we should be having so many of them? I mean, I've seen a lot in the CFO roles, but in terms of CEOs, we don't have a lot of women in those roles, black Mm. or white for that matter. Mm. So we, corporate South Africa needs to redial back and, and, and do that. And we've seen in some instances where boards have leaned forward and appointed uh, women into the ex- in the CEO roles, but they don't give them support. So these women struggle. They don't have a lot of, of sponsorship. They don't have mentors. And they leave these corporates wounded, and, and we label them, label them as, as having failed. But it's, 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 it's the boards that have not taken responsibility of sponsoring these women and supporting them and make sure that they look into their blind spots when they interview them and get them coaches to, be, to support them to be successful. That's quite interesting. And then talk about our roles now as us as glorious in our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
How do you read our support to these uh, young ones behind us? Uh, we talk about mentorships, we talk about all sorts of things, but we don't seem to get there strongly. I will tell you why in my case, mm -hmm. uh, I actually have this thing that we don't quite tell them about the story of pre-1990. And so she has done very well, she's very senior, mm -hmm. but she was only born in 1989, truly speaking now. She's 33, so she's rightfully in a senior position, but we don't share much about this. And and so we call them all manner of things, coconuts, <laughs> uh, they are not transformational. Mm -hmm. The mm. truth of the matter is that mm. that system was very unique, mm. and it it it, it uh, there's no system like that in the world. So we need to talk about it a lot. So can you just tell me about what is it that we're not doing well as this generation? I want to take responsibility now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think you don't share enough with them the struggles in the boardroom that you had experienced. So they come. The young ones come in from university. They are here on merit. They are bright. Um, they've passed their board exams. They are lawyers. They've passed their board exams. They've gone up the corporate ladder. They've gone up the ladder at McKinsey. They are now APA, associate partners and partners. They are there on merit, but you don't. They only focused on meritocracy. You don't give them the background of where we come from, and therefore they have some responsibility beyond looking after themselves and their careers to also support the ones that, be, uh, that are behind them. So you don't share with them the struggles that you went through. We see you and we glorify you. We want to be like you, we idolize you. Uh, but we don't know what you wanted, what you had to do at Transnet, what you had to undo at Transnet to be where we, we are. We don't know the struggles that you went to uh, when you were setting, setting up Webhold. We just see all the nice things and where you are now. So I think you need to do that more. But you also need to tell us where we uh, and, and the younger ones. I mean, I'm not that young, so I'm I not part of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't tell them um, and show them the blind spots or where they are not doing yeah. well. And I mean, I know this discussion we had around young people leaving the workplace quickly and, and, and joining boards, but have we had that conversation? Um, I had a board leadership program that I ran uh, on behalf of McKinsey in South Africa at the beginning of this year. And the board members were saying, where is the next layer? When are the, when is the, where, where is the, uh, the, people, the people that are coming up behind us that are going to be board members? How do we make sure that we train them and get them ready for these roles? Yeah. So I, I'm doing this deliberately because I want my generation to take responsibility that once we say there is no succession, Mm. It means we haven't, haven't done the job. We haven't done the job mm. of creating the succession. And I'm not only doing that to beat ourselves really. I'm doing it for there's still time to do it. Yes. And we need to talk more yes. uh, to the people behind us because I'm 64 now. Uh, before you know, I will be out of the system and I'll be looking at the leader of today that I have not briefed in terms of what project I was involved in and why we did what we did, because they actually do not know. Um, we're going to have an advert uh, just now, but uh, for the callers, uh, please call in on 086-000-2032, or send your voice notes to 0614-104-107.
I am here with a, a, a Nomfanelo uh, to actually just talk about where exactly do we take this economy? What are those corners? Where where, where are the low-hanging fruits, actually, uh, that we can just talk about uh, in terms of going forward? Uh, let's have the advert. Uh, thank you. Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. On SAFM. I am Gloria Serobe, a uh, uh, hashtag Tuesday takeover guest this evening. Uh, Songezo is out there doing something else. Uh, let's have the conversation. Call in on 086-000-2032 or send your voice notes to 0614-104-107. And please keep those voice notes under one minute. My guest today is Nomvanelo Magwensho, a partner at McKinsey. And we'll be talking more about her views of what she thinks we can possibly do uh, to unlock this economic uh, meltdown, or whatever you want to call it, because she has seen it all. Uh, as McKinsey, they have written studies, they've done papers on this, and I'm trying to dig out of her as to what does she see that we can possibly do. Nomfanelo, you spoke about uh, uh, this lack of succession. Can we go to the rural areas? Uh, in my view, uh, because almost 30% of the South African population lives in the rural areas, we also know that those were deliberately excluded from the economic mainstream, whether you're talking Limpopo, you're talking about uh, Eastern Cape, rural Transkei, there was a deliberate thing around that. And so today, we seem to be perpetuating that exclusion, uh, and we are not taking advantage of the fact that that actually left opportunities, that if we did just attend to that, we'll be unlocking some of the opportunities for South Africa. What you call the inclusive growth, mm. it also talks at that. Uh, we're not getting traction there. Can you just take me through your understanding of the uh, the chaos around the rural economy and why we're not getting traction out of that? It's true. I mean, you mentioned earlier that I struggle between rural and urban life. When I go home, what I see there is quite sad. People rely just rely on alcohol and most people that I went to school with uh, rely on alcohol to survive because they don't have work and I think the, the highest unemployment in South Africa is in rural areas in black females and also the youth between 19, age of 19 and 24 the highest 35% black of black women are unemployed in South Africa and most of them are in the rural areas I think if you go outside the official definition of unemployment, it should be around 50% of mm. the rural people are unemployed. Mm. So we grew up with uh, communities that were surviving on agriculture, mm. on, on maize and all of that. It's still the strong point, I mean, strong sector for economic growth in the rural communities. You have women there that are, have less opportunities, they are less educated, they are excluded from digital economy, they are excluded for financial, for the, from the financial economy. They are doing a lot of unpaid work at home and they are not paid for that, so they are really excluded from the economy. But we have learned 
which, by the way, the biggest challenge is still such as um, security of tenure. They don't have land ownership, even mm-hmm. though we have advanced in terms of our policies and inclusion of women in, in, in the country. They depend on agriculture. These are the, that's a sector that is uh, dominant in, in, the, in, the, in the rural community. They have vast lands, uh, vast uh, uh, parcels of land that is, un- that is underutilized. All they need support with is making sure that the municipalities and business support them with water. If you think about the drought, if you think about climate change, mm-hmm. the energy, if you think about what is going on in the country, to make sure that they make sure that their land is productive and they can produce the mm-hmm. primary pro- product for export or for use uh, in South Africa. I mean, we have food security challenges uh, globally. And also, if you think about it, instead of exporting this product raw, there's an opportunity for us to process the product, whatever product we're producing, whether it's fruits or it's vegetables or it's maize or it's uh, chicken or cow hide. If you process and, pro- and, and export the processed product or utilize the processed product, yeah. there's an opportunity to create more jobs there. We have research that we've done in 2015 um, where we talk about the big five priorities for South Africa. Agriculture and agri-processing agri- is the area where we can really get more jobs that would create for these rural communities. But for for us to do that, they need support. They need support with implements. They need support with their services, um, extension services. They need support with fertilizers, buying in bulk and distributing some of the things Mm -hmm. that you're doing in Kandani with your your farming uh, project there. Then also teaching them to venture into other areas of agriculture, mm-hmm. not just maize and, uh, and, and chicken. Mm-hmm. Eggs, how do, we process, how do we make sure that we, our eggs don't rot? When my mother, <laughs> there's no electricity, her eggs that she's trying to process, they, they rot because there's no electricity. So we need to make sure that we are aware as municipalities. And also, if you think about the, co- the corporates in South Africa, they have all these big funds for ESD, they also have a challenge now to um, look at their ESG strategies and focus on the S, which is the social part. They could leverage those funds by taking their superpowers and supporting the rural communi- communities. And if you empower those women, they will contribute to the economony, mm. and this economy will, 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 will they'll mm. make a dent in the, in the economy. Mm. Well, thanks. And, and um, we've just announced as a country this beef protocol with Saudi Arabia that uh, which is quite a big market mm-hmm. we're celebrating this uh, but from your description which is real is that for example Eastern Cape is the biggest uh, area with the biggest number of live units of livestock mm-hmm. but it ends there mm-hmm. uh, they are not fed or up to that level where you you can actually take them to the next line. There are also not, there isn't, apatos to talk about. Exactly. And so this community still will not benefit from this massive uh, program that has been signed off uh, with a big country like uh, um, Saudi. Saudi. The same thing with, uh, I read something about the avocados with China. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, these treaties and protocols are being signed good for the South African farmer but that South African farmer is not where you're saying they should be uh, because all of those things we're talking about we don't have them we don't have processing 
we don't have the the skills, we don't have the technical. Talk about the youth now in that situation where youth in that space, they've run away from agriculture because it does not show opportunities for them. On the other hand, agriculture is showing a whole lot of technological issues Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It still talks again about can you interest them again in this sector? Can you bring these young things? Because it doesn't help when you go to the rural areas. I go there, I do a lot of farming there. But it's the old people who are doing it. The young people do not want to touch agriculture because not bringing these technological issues. Mm-hmm. This, this just explain that space about how do we bring this youth into the rural economy? So we have a, a vibrant youth in South Africa. Majority of our young people are te- technological savvy. Um, they understand digital technologies. They just need to be mentored. They need to be educated. Yeah. They need to be. We need to just nature their uh, natural entrepreneurial uh, capabilities and direct them to the areas where there's opportunities. We have opportunities in agriculture, as I said. Mm-hmm. We need partners to help and invest in cold storage if we're going to export uh, meat. We need uh, technologies to access markets. These kids could help their parents in that, and they can set up co-ops for them to consolidate all this produce, develop market access, use technology to improve the product as well and improve the yields of of the plants and help the parents to understand where the opportunities are and where they can export their product in using technology. So this is true. I mean, the, the, these big corporates are not going to create jobs for these youth. They, they are driving the economy, but we need SMEs that will drive and create, drive new economy and create new jobs that will absorb the youth. Mm-hmm. And we, as I say, these, these kids are tech savvy. They are sitting at home. They don't have. They have access to smartphones. All of them. Why don't you use technology, leverage technology and digital to drive the economy in the rural communities? Mm. Calling on 086-0002032 uh, and send your voice notes to 0614104107 and please keep your voice notes under one minute. We are going to take an advert just now. My guest is Nomfanel uh, Magwenshu. And we are talking about the economy of this country and how we can unlock. We will take callers after the advert. I am Gloria Surobe, your Tuesday takeover guest this evening. And I'm having a conversation, very interesting conversation with my guest, Nomfanelo Magwenshu, a partner at McKinsey. I'm going to take a caller now, uh, Billy at Hasi uh, Kukune. Can you... Talk to us, Billy. Very well. How are you, man? Pardon? Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, Billy. How are you? I'm Songezo today, yeah. but I'm Gloria. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes. Good. Let me tell you how apartheid was structured. It ensured that it put black Africans in the rural area. Rural means undeveloped. Now, it also put white people in rural areas, but which were developed. They, they developed some farms and gave them to white people. And those farms were given what you call title D, ownership. 
the white man will own that land, yeah. whether it's 50 hectares or 100 hectares. But for blacks, they put under traditional authority yeah. or tribal authority in terms of their tribal belongings. They will share uh, 100 hectares being 500 households, for example. That means everyone will take less than the hectare. But the same land was not given tidily. They lived communally. They even discouraged them to demarcate this land into being uh, into size. We just live together there, you cluster, you it's not even access for roads. Now, when uh, this democracy case, it continued the same thing. There was no difference. What you call land reform? There must be what you call tenor reform. Nothing. Tell me one example where people living in traditional or communal areas were given a title of ownership. Because without that ownership of the land, you are likely to, to develop it. Who are you? They put you under the, the custodian of a traditional leader. Now, that traditional leader we don't even understand what is development himself. Thank Someone you very much, uh, Billy. I think we've got the drift of where you're taking us to, but uh, and that's exactly what we talk about. The attention to detail, those very things we must actually give attention to. And thank you very much because that is pretty much all over the country. And I know it in Eastern Cape. I know some parts of Hohone, same thing uh, for Mpopo. But thank you very much. That's the education we need to give. I also have uh, Sylvester from Somerset West. Hello, Mama. Hello, Sylvester. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And how are you, ladies? I'm great. Uh, yes, thanks. Sorry? Yes. Yes, I am originally from Eastern Cape um, and Mount Fletcher, between Mount Fletcher and Mount Fletcher. Mount Fletcher, okay, yes. Yes, um, so I studied agriculture and, and, um, and managing it and everything. So I have just three things. So I have looked over the problems for the past four years while I'm working in a um, commercial, conventional farm setup. Um, that will be your, your 25 farmers, anything beyond 300 hectares of farmers. And there's there's few things that I've picked that I've learned that I wish that can work uh, for me and many other young men or young men and women in the Eastern Cape. Um, so one will be I think the, um, accessibility to the land, um, not entirely reforming the land. I think there is a um, almost a fine line between utilizing the land and actually repossessing it. And that, I think, has become a problem for, for many years, that if I want to use the land, um, say Abakwena um, owns that land, and I want to come to them and say, can you please give me this land of ours? So there can be an approach where the municipality can, can come in and say, Abakwena, you have 10 hectares here. Sylvester here has all this and that and this, but he doesn't have 10 hectares which you guys are not using, can we somehow help you help them um, to use this 10 hectares and you will be compensated for whatever it is called, remuneration or, or rent, that's one. Secondly, was something that I've, I've learned and came as a solution is um, our grandfathers taught our fathers how to farm, but before our fathers could mature, 
our grandfathers left and went to mines and they came to Cape Town, etc., etc. Now our fathers were left without any inform or thorough information on how to continue. Then that left us with money, which our grandfathers and fathers eventually sent, and we have no clue what farming is. So I think secondly, one thing I've learned is um, a mentorship, not not handouts, but mentorship, which is um, walking a mile with a guy. Say I go down, which is something I've learned is finding those people or young people that want to farm and walking down. Not, not giving things, working with them maybe, say, a period of five years and just trying to to make sure that by the time you leave, there's no necessity for you. So which I think is vice versa to many projects I've seen um, in, in the Eastern Cape when I visited. It, you come there, you have space, you have seeds, you have fertilizers in bulk. Leave them there and you are gone. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much, uh, <laughs> Sylvester. We have a desperate need to get you back home Manfreda is waiting for you, and and uh, thank you for that uh, for that uh, experience. I've got two voice notes. Um, can we have them? Hello, Mama Tomato. My name is Bulum Konokotuga from Butterworth. I just want to say that I am really proud of the work that you are doing in our community in Tendani Tutuha. I've been, a, I've been a big fan of your work this side, and I may grow for many more years. Thank you very much. A very good evening, Gloria and your guest. I think the government should shoulder the blame in terms of creating uh, job opportunities across the country. We are in a disaster, in a catastrophe. Young people are desperate outside. And also, I also appeal to young people that they must not fold their arms expecting the government to do everything for them. They should start their own initiatives and get subsidy from the government and also making sure that the project that have already started they can be get a sub subsidy nyda and so forth thank you very much it's wonderful polotwa village thank you very much um Thank you very much. I really appreciate those two voice notes. I'm now going to get closing comments uh, from my guest after the news. Uh, and uh, it is uh, almost 9 p.m. And today I get to introduce our news reader, uh, Greg Hoves. I often hear him reading the news and quoting me and the work of the Solidarity Fund uh, good evening, Greg. Now that I'm here, please talk to me. Good evening. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. on the viewpoint. Thank you very much. Uh, we're back. I'm Gloria Sarobe, and my guest is Nomfanelo uh, Magwenshu, a partner at McKinsey. Very deep conversation about where do we push the needles uh, for the economic uh, growth in South Africa, looking at rural, looking at urban, looking at women, and looking at everything. 
Nomfanalo, I'm back to you now to say, if you were to speak to government, if you were to speak to business, if you were to speak to me as civil society, because I'm saying this because when South Africa was under attack uh, with uh, COVID, what worked was that government, business, and uh, civil society got together and formed the Solidarity Fund as a rapid response uh, to this uh, COVID. As a result, South Africa is highly, highly regarded in terms of how we responded uh, to COVID by WHO. And that's because these three big partners uh, worked together because they were under siege. Just imagine them, they all think they are under siege mm -hmm. uh, with this thing of, uh, of uh, lack of economic growth, lack of inclusivity, and lack of women, and lack of young people. Can you just talk to these three parties in terms of uh, what is it exactly that they should look at? So I think um, um, if I refer back to some research also that we, a report that we've recently um, released with the MGI, corporate South Africa has a big role to play in this economy. We have 147 corporates headquartered in South Africa with revenues of more than one billion each. So this economy stands on corporates, private sector in South Africa. We need to just make sure that this corporate South Africa does not dial back in women empowerment. We need to remove the bias in the boardrooms, in the executive boardrooms. We need to focus on challenging the power, uh, the, the pay parity. Let's make sure that we have these women growing up from middle management to the top leadership and we support them. That's around the women empowerment. Also, Corporate South Africa, they have pocket of funds that they use for uh, ESD. Let's use those funds, and f those funds and find these rural communities and find projects that we can support, form partnerships with the municipalities to create opportunities for rural women to nature this uh, farming um, uh, ability that they have, their capabilities, use te new technologies to improve their, their yield, and also invest in this coal storage to export their product to Saudi Arabia. We also have coastal tourism, and that's an opportunity for government to work with private sector in nurturing that in the rural communities and support job growth, uh, job opportunities in the, in the rural communities. Without, I mean, belaboring the point on um, SMEs, this is where we're going to find new jobs. Net jobs will come from SMEs, which are in the growth path, in sectors that are in the growth path. I mentioned agriculture and agro-processing. There's also the business process outsourcing. That is a big, big, big sector globally. That will also create, that creates jobs. I mean, in the, during COVID, this sector was thriving because people could work from home and leveraging technology to serve the global, global companies, not just South African companies. So those are the areas that I would think we should work together. Municipalities have a very big role to play in the development of the small cities. Municipalities need to come to the party with permits, with uh, letters of authority, with approvals of new developments. That's exactly where we need them to support the rural community, economy. Thank you very much, uh, Nomfanelo. We can pretty much take over this studio, but uh, legally I must hand over now uh, to Songezo. I must hand over the show back to you, Songezo, 
And thank you very much for lending us your desk uh, just to ramble amongst ourselves. Uh, I hope we didn't waste your hour. And uh, back to you, Songezo. Thank tit you. Tit for much. tat, Mamsa Robert. Tit for tat. I'm more than happy, willing, and able to be the CEO of Whiphold for a day as well, <laughs> just as you would have done on this wonderful platform. Great conversation to you and Mama Gwentra. Some very serious issues that need to be discussed. And you're right, you could have gone on forever. Finally, wrap up for us the experience for you and when you are coming back as a guest, because some of the issues you talked to and about really need a lot more time, only this time with you offering the substantive points as opposed to asking the questions. Ma'am, are you there? Okay, fair enough. Let's wrap up. Mom Sarob has already left the studio because she's no longer keen to be with us. Oh, well, well, well. Nonetheless, she did do a fantastic job and our gratitude to the production team for ensuring we were able to locate her despite her very busy day. 